Our scripture lesson comes from the book of Acts today. There are several verses I would like to read as we go through this morning. I'll start with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then chapter 8, verse 1, and then chapter 11, starting at verse 19. Hear God's word to us today. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then over in chapter 8, verse 1, we see some time has gone by, and Luke tells us about a great persecution that had swept through the church in Jerusalem. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then we see what happens in this scattering as we get into chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw that the grace of, what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord all, with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, who would also be called the Apostle Paul, met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. William Wilberforce grew up as a child of privilege attending Cambridge University. And two weeks after his 21st birthday, he was elected to Parliament, where he became a brilliant orator and politician. Then he met John Newton, choir, the author of Amazing Grace. And if you know anything about John Newton, you know that he was a former slave ship captain. He had found Christ, repented of his old life, and had become a minister. Upon meeting Newton, seeds were sown into Wilberforce's heart that were destined to change history. In 1787, Wilberforce initiated a campaign to make Great Britain aware of the atrocities of slavery and wrote for its abolition. It was a fierce fight. Besides politicians and industrialists, there were even religious leaders who had their own slaves who opposed Wilberforce. From his deathbed, John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, wrote to Wilberforce saying this, If God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? 
Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the sun, shall vanish away before it. Wilberforce persevered because he knew what was at stake, the lives of millions of people. Finally, on February 23, 1807, the Slave Trade Act outlawing traffic of slaves was passed in the House of Commons by an overwhelming majority. Twenty-six years later, near the end of Wilberforce's life, slavery was outlawed throughout the British Empire, and shortly thereafter it was outlawed in the United States. How did this happen, you might ask? One man decided to follow Jesus and committed his life to righting a horrific wrong. This this one man's life was so radically changed and transformed by the person of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that it had a radical impact on the entire world. I am convinced that the youth of today want to see the world changed. I believe that there are young men and women right in this very room who have the passion and the heart of young William Wilberforce. I just know it. I see it in your eyes. I am convinced that you want to see world change. I believe that churches need to be a place where our young people are encouraged to be like William. People who catch a vision of the kingdom of God and are, who, uh, are relentless in the pursuit of on earth as it is in heaven. In Bonaire as it is in heaven. In Ettrick as it is in heaven. Study your Chestfield map and you'll hear me. In Jeff Davis Corridor as it is in heaven. And in Skin Quarter as it is in heaven. North, south, east, and west. In Metropolitan Richmond as it is in heaven. In the Commonwealth of Virginia as it is in heaven. In this nation as it is in heaven. And to the ends of the earth as it is in heaven. Wilberforce's biographer Eric Metaxas calls Wilberforce the greatest social reformer in the history of the world. The world he was born into in 1759 and the one he departed in 1833 were as different as lead and gold. Wilberforce presided over a social social earthquake, he writes, that rearranged the continents and whose magnitude we are only now beginning to appreciate. There's a lot of work to be done, folks, and we know that. But look what has been done through one person who committed his life to Jesus Christ. Wilberforce was transformed by Jesus. He was raised up and he was sent out. Perhaps we as the church today are an incubator where followers of Jesus are nurtured, transformed, raised up and sent out. Nurtured, transformed, raised up and sent out. This incubator is what I see as a transformational church. A church that is not satisfied with the status quo of leaving people and the communities they're in as they are, but seeing a move of God bring about change for the better. There are some qualities of transformational churches that I'd like to share, just three that I see, and if you want to jot this down, you can. One is that people become more like Jesus. We see this in Wilberforce that we become more and more like Jesus. The Apostle Paul calls this being clothed in Christ. It's like getting a new wardrobe and having it tailor-fit just to fit you. Clothe yourselves in Christ, writes the Apostle Paul. C.S. Lewis 
hits on this in his book, Mere Christianity, when he says that we are to be as little Christs, to become little Christs. Another quality is that churches act more like the body of Christ. We are called a body with many members. Paul writes, so in Christ we, though who are many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. We become more like Jesus. We become more reflective of the body. And the communities third, the communities around us, reflect more of the kingdom of God. Jesus said to us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're more like Jesus, the church looks more like his body, and the community is reflective of the kingdom. A transformational church brings about these. Our foremothers and forefathers at Huguenot Road Baptist Church were pioneers in their day as they planted this church. They committed their finances, their time, their abilities to see that there would be a distinct Baptist presence in the growing suburbs of northwest Chesterfield County. It's tempting for uh, churches like us with such wonderful facilities and a prominent location and many resources to kind of sit back and enjoy it and to become protective of it, almost in a self-preservation kind of way. And we have to be very careful about that. Churches that have experienced growth like ours over the years have to be careful about that and not become content in just getting a scorecard and keeping track of how many people are there and how much money and how many buildings we can put up. Those are all important things, but that's not the, the purpose of, of why our church exists. We are a mission of God, and we can't settle back in and just manage things. We, we have to make sure that we keep the mission of God out in front so that the vision and mission of God are driving us, and the other things are simply ways to help organize our world needs people who become more and more like Jesus. Our world must uh, hear the, the gospel and see it in action. We must not be satisfied with how things are. We must not be satisfied as a church with social and economic disparity, racial injustices, political division, and disregard for the general welfare of people. And we also must be aware that there are a lot of people in our society today who have no religion at all. They're called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, people who select none when they are asked of their religious affiliation. We've talked about this before. We have to be aware that God has called us to be a transforming presence for such a time as this. As we worked through the Sundays after Easter, the season after Easter, Eastertide, and moved into the Pentecost, we spent some time studying in the book of Acts. And I, I shared with our staff, I felt God leading us to continue in that way. So in the next several weeks, as we move into the summer, we're going to focus on Acts chapter 11 through 15. And we will see how the gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire. And maybe we will see some things that will help us to be better equipped at transforming not only the people in the walls, but outside. There are several steps. First one I'm going to spend a little more time on, and the last two are very brief. So hang with me. We want to embrace the early church. I believe that's the first thing we would do. 
we would go back and say, we want to reclaim the power and the growth that we saw happening and the transformation that we saw happening in the early church. But you might ask, which one? Do you want to go back to Corinth? It took two lengthy Pauline epistles to address their dysfunctions. Or what about Rome, who struggled with sin and doctrine and theological issues? Paul wrote his most theological, theological treatise because of all of the struggles they had. The churches in Galatia battled over the nature of the gospel, the role of the law, and a lot of other things. The Ephesians, they struggled with the nature of the church, whether it was universal or local. They were confused about the function of the church and the leaders, and they dealt with spiritual warfare. Or maybe we want to go back to Philippians. They had a lot of conflict, and Paul actually called out two people in the church in his letter to the church at Philippi to help bring about resolution to their conflict. Or what about Thessalonica? They were so overwhelmed by the coming of the second coming of Jesus that they just kind of sat there and waited. The Colossians struggled to understand the deity of Jesus. So you might say, Pastor Bob, just fast forward to Revelation. There are some good churches there we can emulate. Well, if you look there in the first part of Revelation, the Ephesians had abandoned their first love for Jesus. The church at Pergamum succumbed to false teachers. Thyatira, they tolerated someone who was disrupting their fellowship. The church at Sardis thought they were spiritually alive, but they were nearly spiritually dead. And the church at Laodicea was, quote, lukewarm and in danger of being vomited out of God's mouth. So you're like, Pastor Bob, which one's left? The early church isn't seeing, seeming so promising. We understand that all of us are sinners and fall short of God's glory. We all need His grace. And that's why we see so many imperfect people, imperfect people listed in Scripture. It helps us to have hope because we are not perfect. But there was an exception in the early church. And we see this starting in the book of Acts in the second chapter where people gathered together for teaching and fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They shared everything in common. No one had need among them. They continued to worship in the temple courts and so forth, and the Lord added to their number. But that church wasn't the one that changed the Roman Empire. That wasn't the one that sent out missionaries all over the Mediterranean region. That did not happen until the church was persecuted. You heard me talk about this in chapter 8, verse 1. There was a great persecution. We know that Saul was part of that, who later was converted. The church was scattered all about, and as a result of that scattering, some of the people went to Antioch of Syria, and it was that church where we see a major, a major transformation happen. People became believers, and follow, they followed Jesus these were Gentiles, and missionary journeys started, and we see the Apostle Paul and his uh, movement unfolding as we move through the book of Acts. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word of God only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, Gentiles telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This did not happen back in Jerusalem. It happened at Antioch after this great persecution and this move of God. And as we study through this part of the book of Acts and see what happened as in the church at Antioch and as a result of its movement, we'll see that it perhaps is an ancient model for the church of the future. Antioch was the third, I believe, third largest city in the Roman Empire. It had a population of over a half a million people. It had a major seaport. It's now in modern-day Turkey. But back then, there were many um, religions. People worshipped all kinds of gods and goddesses. It is said to have been morally lax and corrupt, a cosmopolitan city, many diverse in language and culture, even a small Jewish population there. One writer suggests that Antioch was the cradle of Christianity. This church was composed of transformed people, transformed its community, and the Mediterranean world as it was known. We're very fortunate to have a great deal of information about what happened, and as the weeks go forward, we will dive in and study it. I believe this will help frame our vision of what it means to be a transformational church in our world today. What happened in Antioch points us to a second step of being a transformational church. First, we go back and we look at this model, and, and then second, we see ourselves, the church, as the mission of God. This is very helpful as we move forward. We are not an institution. We are not designed to be a, just a regular nonprofit. We are not just a, cons- a community service organization. We are the mission of God. Theologians call this the missio dei in Latin, the mission of God. Transformational churches are mission outposts, not designed to be museums. We are members of transformational churches. We are on pilgrimage, not on religious tours. Eugene Peterson writes that we are both disciples and pilgrims. We are not tourists. Yes, it would be wonderful to take a trip and see the churches that Paul started, and maybe sometimes people go on a cruise to do that, and that would be wonderful, but that's just temporary. Uh, we are called to be pilgrims. We are not Christian tourists, and transformational churches are concerned with mission, not maintenance and management. When maintenance and management get out in front of mission, then we have completely misunderstood what it means to be God's church. And churches today have to be very careful about that. So the church is God's mission, the missio dei. And third, we provide an intentional process for transformation to occur. Discipleship must not happen by chance or accident. And we at Huguenot Road, thankful to those who have gone before us, Terry Maples, I see you right here in the room, with your many years of service here, and Matthew Hensley uh, continuing to help us to be uh, focused on discipleship. We want to be, I believe we are, and we want to be better at intentional discipleship. As we study the church at Antioch, we will see that Paul and Barnabas were intentional about teaching the followers of Jesus there. So much so, they 
were so changed, and they changed the world around them so much that they were called Christians. And this was a derogatory term. They were called Christ-ians. The ending I-A-N, Ian, means one from or belonging to or relating to or like. Think about a Bostonian or Floridian or Virginian or South Carolinian. In biblical terms, Herodian or Caesarean. These people are called Christians. Oh, those are the Christians. Stay away from those people. Those are the Christians. People were first called Christians at Antioch by the outsiders who saw what was happening. At HRBC, we are committed to making disciples who are pilgrims on mission for God, not religious tourists. We're actively working to strengthen our discipleship through a threefold process. You've heard about it and you'll hear more about it. Connect, grow, transform. Connecting with God and others, growing into spiritual maturity, and changing the world around us to reflect more of the kingdom of God. Connect, grow, transform. A discipleship process that fits within the greater purpose of our church. William Wilberforce wrote, For the first years I was in Parliament, I did nothing. Nothing of any purpose. But in committing to Christ, he discovered his life's purpose. It was not about achieving personal greatness, but about being in the center of the will of God. I believe God has called us to be a transformational church. That we should not be satisfied as we look at the next 50 years of just trying to exist or maintain. But rather, we want to see our Next generations changed, and the communities around us changed so much so that it becomes reflective of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. May it be so on this Heritage Day and beyond at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Let us pray. Thank you so much, Almighty God, for a beautiful day of worship and beautiful people gathered in a beautiful place. Help us to continue to seek your will as we move forward as a congregation. Not to be satisfied with the successes of our past, but seeking to be in the epicenter of your will in the future. That we would be transformed and the community around us to the ends of the earth would be transformed, more reflective of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.